Welcome to Frontline Nursing, a podcast about frontline nurses in the COVID-19 era. Each month, we provide the tools nurses need to navigate the challenges they face during a pandemic. We will cover the state of the science, self-care, and other critical topics. My name is Dr. Reina Latorno, and I am your host. Emily Bloom has worked in the healthcare field for 10 years since 2012. Emily has worked as a certified nursing assistant, a medical assistant, an emergency medical technician, and a registered nurse. Emily was also in the military as an emergency medical technician. She earned her bachelor's of science in nursing from the University of South Florida and was part of the vCare program. Hi, Emily. Welcome to Frontline Nursing, and thank you for being our guest on this episode. Hi, Raina. How are you doing? Doing well. Thank you. We have lots of things to talk about. Now, you were part of the vCare program while in nursing school. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the vCare program was an accelerated program that acted as a bridge between my experience in the military as a medic and becoming a nurse. It tailored to all of the experiences we had gained um, and then just built them further. Thanks for explaining that. That's a unique program that's offered at the University of South Florida, and it prepared you to become a registered nurse. So when you started your career as a nurse, you were caring for patients at the bedside. And as you progress through your career, you've changed roles and you no longer care for patients at the bedside. Can you tell us about your experiences and what led to your decision to leave bedside nursing? I'll be honest, I didn't recognize myself or my coworkers any longer. What I mean by that is after enduring the level of abuse that has been happening at the bedside, healthcare workers completely lose their spark, passion, and soul. You don't feel human any longer. I was no longer sleeping. I would get anxious the day prior to going in for a shift related to fear of being understaffed and not being able to take care of my patients appropriately. I had a constant fear of losing my license because of the unsafe working conditions. After working a stretch of shifts, I did not have the energy or motivation to participate in normal everyday life. The cycle would continue with every stretch of shifts. It did not get better until I left the bedside. Unfortunately, this was not related to not having a self-care routine. There's no level of self-care that prepares you to zip another human being into a body bag daily to the point where you run out of bags. There's no level of self-care that allows a person to endure the level of abuse that is currently happening in our healthcare system. So Emily, I probably should have clarified that question even. You were providing bedside care and nursing care to patients during the pandemic. Is that correct? Yeah. And, and that's when you were feeling all of these things that you just explained to us, the anxiety, the lack of sleep, and all of those situations were happening during the pandemic. Yes, absolutely. And you made your decision to leave bedside nursing during this pandemic. Yes. Oh, I am sorry that you've experienced all of that, but thank you for telling us what you were experiencing. Is there anything that you think could have changed your decision to leave the bedside? That's a really difficult question to answer, actually. And it's going to be really honest. But instead of trinkets and coupons and thank you emails and hero signs, we really needed to be heard. 
working at the bedside is like standing on an island with your coworkers screaming at the top of your lungs for help and no one comes to help. Instead of pizza or fast food delivered to a break room that we will never have time to go into and eat, we needed reinforcements. We needed managers, CNOs, CEOs that rolled up their sleeves and took patients or provided breaks until they could get the appropriate staff there. Instead of denying vacation time because we were too short-staffed, they should be encouraging and approving vacation time because they are acknowledging that nurses need that time to rest and recover from the damage their jobs cause in their daily lives. So it just sounds like if the institution was able to provide you more support or more resources or even some time off, that could have changed your your decision and you could still possibly be working at the bedside. Absolutely. I mean, I think support is classified in multiple different ways. It doesn't necessarily have to be a higher paycheck. It can be a listening ear where solutions are actually created. We don't want to talk just to talk. We want to be heard. Um, And ultimately, that's what this march is all about. So, you know, Emily, you just mentioned solutions because we've identified a lot of problems in nursing and we've identified that a lot of the problems in nursing have long been before the pandemic, but yet the pandemic has exacerbated some of these problems. And thank you again for sharing the problems that you were experiencing while you were caring for patients during the pandemic. But what you just mentioned were solutions are needed. And what solutions do you recommend to improve the conditions for nurses providing direct patient care, either in hospitals or other settings where nurses have to care for their patients? How do we improve those conditions? Yeah, I mean, this is such a loaded question and there's no easy answer to it. Safe working conditions and safe staffing would be the first step to fixing these issues and convincing nurses to stay at the bedside. Bedside nurses, respiratory therapists, technicians, even our physicians are being set up to fail. This is not isolated to hospitals. Our rehab and long-term care facilities are also suffering. We do not have the appropriate number of staff members and resources to care for our patients. Do not have the ability to provide them with timely treatments while we are spread this thin. Things will get missed. Studies have shown that adverse events and even patient deaths are a result of understaffing. This is happening nationwide and even internationally. Nurses do not currently make a living wage. Travel nursing has been such a popular option for nurses because not only are they given a more adequate salary for the amount of work they are doing, they also have an agency that enforces their contracts. They have someone that speaks out against inappropriate assignments or unsafe working conditions. The reason I bring this up is because my last solution is that I believe hospitals should have a more open forum for nurses or hospital staff in general to report their grievances. These forums should be high-level CEOs and chief nursing officers speaking in a public forum to frontline workers. They need to give us an avenue to be heard and then provide a deadline in which they will provide answers to our questions and concerns. Every day that goes by without a solution is another group of patients that is put at risk. We don't have the luxury of time or just speaking to be heard without creating solutions. Are there organizations such as JACO, nurse-run unit practice councils, or forms that can be filled out to be routed up specified channels? Sure. Have these systems failed us? Absolutely. 
an overwhelming majority of nurses have reported retaliation, being targeted, blacklisted, and even being fired over speaking up about patient safety issues. Nurses do not want to leave their homes and their families to travel in order to make a living. Nurses do not want to leave the bedside. They choose to do this job because it is a passion of theirs, but they have not been given much of a choice. Nurses have essentially been muzzled and given the choice to put our head down and keep going or leave the bedside. A large number have made the choice to leave. I'm going to ask you another question, Emily. And you mentioned that nurses don't want to leave their families to travel, but there are opportunities that some nurses are feeling like they can't pass up financially, right? And they're also looking for that protection that you mentioned. Some travel nurses are able to get protection from their agencies and the agencies can say, no, that's not a safe assignment. And no, they're not accepting that assignment. So nurses need a voice is what I'm hearing you say. And we know that nurses are looking for that venue and you just called upon CEOs and CNOs and you called for a forum where nurses can have a voice and the people who have to hear that would be able to listen. There's an opportunity for nurses to have a voice with the National Nurse March that's scheduled on Nurses Day, May 12th this year. Uh, The National Nurse March is scheduled in Washington, D.C., but nurses are also scheduling state-level marches for that same day and same time on Nurses Day. And you, I know, are very involved with the march that's being planned in Florida. Tell us about that. The Florida Nurse March was created to call attention to the issues that are happening at bedside. Our healthcare system is broken. It was broken before the COVID pandemic, and the last two years have only exacerbated the issues. Nurses are asking for our community's help. Many nurses feel that they have been silenced by the fear of losing their jobs and being retaliated against by their healthcare systems. Our communities do not have visibility into how unsafe hospitals and outpatient facilities have become. This is not isolated to a particular hospital or a particular region, but just because it is happening everywhere doesn't mean that we can sit back and ignore the problem. This march is a call to action. The heroes that you called on at the beginning of this pandemic need saving. We need your help. So the purpose of this march is to give nurses a voice. It's a call to action, right? What else is the purpose and what is your role with this? I'm the organizer of the Florida March, but truly I am just acting as a voice for so many that feel like they cannot use their own. We have over 3,000 members in our group and we are growing every day. Every single one of those members has a terrifying and emotional story to tell that deserves to be heard. What do you hope will be the result of this march? We hope to bring awareness to the public of the unsafe conditions our patients are facing and that they will stand up with us to demand solutions. We hope to foster productive conversations with hospital systems to create tangible solutions. We hope to partner with universities to take better care of our new graduates that are being thrown into such a terrible situation. And so if somebody wanted to be involved with this, you said that you were 3,000 members and growing. What should they do? How can somebody be involved with this? That just depends on how involved they want to get. You can write and meet with your politicians so that they will advocate for changes. 
you can join our Facebook page. It's called Florida Nurse March. You can email me at FloridaNurseCoalition at gmail.com. Um, you can even come march with us on May 12th in Tallahassee. This march is not just for nurses, it's for our families, our patients, for anyone that's been touched by this or will be touched by this. Uh, speak with your community hospital boards to request transparency and honesty as to the staffing conditions happening within the hospital that you or your family will depend on in a critical time of need. If you wait to speak up until you need care, it will already be too late. I think that's very important for our audience to hear. So if they want to be involved, they can contact you. And thanks for sharing your information. Emily, I'd like you to tell us about what it was like to work as a nurse during the pandemic. What did you experience? What was it like coming home? Did you feel safe coming home to your family members? Tell us, what were your experiences? To be honest, I, I became a nurse because I wanted to make a difference in other people's lives. The COVID pandemic flipped my world upside down. My husband and I had just moved to North Carolina. And so we were living in a house with my parents who are well within the age range of people that were at risk. So we isolated in a trailer for a little over a month that was donated to us by this amazing couple through a group called RVs for MDs. And I never in my life, when I became a nurse, ever thought that my job would put my family members at risk. I isolated myself. I tried to stay away from them as much as possible. So not only were healthcare workers facing an impossible task, facing death on a daily basis, like invisible attacker that we couldn't do anything about and we didn't know anything about. But we were going home thinking that we were going to kill our own families by even being around them when more than anything, we needed their support and love and hugs and being around them. And I think that's something that all people could relate to because everyone lost that through the pandemic. Everyone lost hugging their family members, seeing their parents, feeling comfortable around their grandparents. You don't want to be the reason someone loses their life. And as a nurse, you're in a unique position where you are tasked with saving people's lives on a daily basis or holding their hand for their parents, their grandparents, their sisters, their brothers, because having them say goodbye to someone on an iPad or a cell phone or a phone you hold up to their ear and then going home and not even being able to hug your own family. It was terrible and life-changing. I will never forget it. Your life will never be the same. Your career will never be the same, but your life will never be the same after that. And I'd like to thank you for sharing with us and for leading the march and helping your colleagues to be able to have a voice and be heard. Emily, is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience? We've been given an impossible task and cannot sit back and watch our patients' lives be put at rest on a daily basis. We cannot be abused verbally, mentally, and physically, then be expected to stay and tolerate the abuse because it's quote-unquote what we signed up for. We cannot make a living to provide for our own families with the current wages that we're provided. These hospitals are the same ones that our families and loved ones will look to when they get sick. 
if the staff within the hospitals are speaking out about how they would not want their families treated within the healthcare systems they're working in, that makes a statement. Nurses are not leaving the bedside because we no longer care. Nurses are leaving the bedside because we care too much. And thank you, Emily, for sharing your story, for sharing your experience, for sharing your time with us. And if anybody wants to be involved with the National Nurse March, you can find more information very easily by Googling. And if you want to be involved with your state-level marches, please look that information up. If specifically you are in Florida and would like to be involved with the Florida Nurse March, please feel free to contact Emily. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Frontline Nursing. This podcast is made possible thanks to generous funding from Florida philanthropists, Mr. David Kotak and Ms. Christine Schlesinger. The Frontline Nursing Program is designed to give nurses the tools they need to advocate for their safety during the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. For more information, email us at frontlinenursing at usf.edu. Frontline Nursing is the podcast that nurses need.